Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I've entitled this episode, Just Keep Going. Have you ever known someone who's always negative, the kind of person who always sees the glass as being half empty instead of being half full? Somebody once described such a person as the kind who looks both ways when crossing a one-way street. The world always has had its share of negative people who can only see what is wrong. Worse than just the plain old pessimists are those who are extremely vocal in their pessimism. These people find the bad side of everything because, truth be told, that's what they're looking for. And then they feel free to talk about it, loudly. We sometimes refer to these people as critics. Back when I was in theater in college, we used to say that those who could did, and those who couldn't became critics. Our Lord Jesus lived and died at the hands of critics. As he approached his death, Jesus focused on what was good, but Satan was right there, making sure that evil had its day. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26 and read verses 1 through 13. Matthew 26 verses 1 through 13 tells us this, And it came about that when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, Not during the festival, lest a riot occur among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it upon his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed for me. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume upon my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. The same account is found in Mark chapter 14 and in John chapter 12. And it appears that John is the one who places it in its chronological order, or at least it seems so to me. Jesus is now in the last several days of his life. His death is about a week away. The Lord is heading for Jerusalem, but he stopped in Bethany to dine at the house of a friend, Simon the leper. There has been all kinds of conjecture as to who this Simon was. Some have conjectured that he was the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Still others have suggested that he may have been the husband of Martha, but the truth is, we just don't know. 
One thing that we do know is that he is no longer suffering from active leprosy, for if he was, he would not have been in his home in the town of Bethany, much less inviting people into his home. During the dinner, it was actually Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who does this anointing with expensive perfume from an expensive container. John is the one who tells us this. There are so many things that we can learn from this account. First, we learn several things about evil. Consider just a few of them with me. The end of the Lord's life is rapidly approaching. In the next several days, Jesus will face his most difficult moments. He will ultimately triumph through it all. He will submit to the most difficult part of his Father's will. He will endure an absolutely farcical but deadly trial. Jesus will be brutally beaten and end up going to the cross. On the third day, he will rise from the tomb, triumphant over Satan and over sin. These constitute the most significant events in all of history. Yet through it all, Satan is lurking nearby, if I can put it that way, hoping to corrupt God's plans. As this time begins and the figure of the cross is looming ominously in the near future, the Lord's enemies were plotting. It was not enough that they had a degree of control over the Jews politically. It is not enough that they have the religious institution of the Jews under their control and at their beck and call. No, they must go after Jesus, whom they view as a threat to their power. While Jesus approaches his greatest moments, the representatives of Satan are right there. Even at dinner, evil lurks nearby. Jesus was having dinner with Simon and others. When Mary anointed the Lord, critics were present. They judged her actions and her motives. They condemned her conduct. As Mary offers this extravagant gift, all of the critics can see is her mistake. Matthew said the disciples were indignant. Mark says some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been so wasted? John is the one who makes it clear that Judas was the one who brought it up and his motive was not concerned for the poor. In John 12, 1-6, we find Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those who was crying at the table with him. Mary, therefore, took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned for the poor, but because he was a thief, and as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. The truth of the matter is that no matter what you do or how far you go, evil will always be nearby. A person may be in the midst of great service to God, but evil will still be nearby. We notice in our reading that the Lord's enemies met together to plan his downfall, to bring about his death. They admit that they cannot act openly because of the crowds in Jerusalem for the Passover. The people would get very upset, perhaps even rioting as a result. So they decided that they had to act in some secret and what would be a technically illegal way to get what they wanted. This is a fairly frequent characteristic of evil. It loves to work in the dark. 
it is full of shame. So out of fear, evil chooses to work where others cannot see. Evil chooses to act in sly, secretive ways. Evil is afraid to have the light of day shine upon it. Do you remember John chapter 3 verses 19 and 20? John wrote, And this is the judgment that light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. We notice as well that when Mary began to offer her service and gift to the Lord, the critics, led by Judas, began to chime in. They have their own perceived reasons to criticize, again, I believe, prompted by Judas. The money for the perfume she poured upon the Lord's head and feet could have been used to feed countless poor people. In this manner they rebuke Mary. This too is so frequently part of the nature of evil. Love, evil loves to pass judgment on others. It loves to find mistakes in everything that is good and pure. And then, believing itself to have found such mistakes, evil loves to expose others for them. This is one of Satan's greatest weapons. The enemy will undermine many good projects and people simply by constant criticism. This is absolutely one area in which we see God's people must be different. God loves every person enough to send Jesus to die. God sees in every person the potential for good and offers salvation to all. As God's children, we should not be the critics, always looking for the bad, always seeing the worst. We too should look for the good in others. Sometimes it's hard to find, but we need to care enough to look. And like Jesus, we should commend good when it is found. The next time any of us are tempted to criticize, remember who is doing the tempting. Now while evil was near and seeking to take advantage of every opportunity, the best part of this account is that good keeps on going. Jesus was not deterred by his enemies and their plots. Mary did not stop her offering just because there were critics in the crowd, many of whom would have been considered friends. While evil is nearby, good just keeps on going, doing what it can. This is truly wonderful to contemplate. No matter how bleak a situation may be, we can always find someone trying to do good. I have spent considerable time over the years reading and studying about the rise and fall of Nazism, as well as considerable time concerning the Holocaust. I did it and do it because I'm interested. But one of the amazing things to me is that in the concentration camps, as literally thousands were dying daily, there were wonderful stories about people suffering almost unspeakably and yet still trying to help others. One of the things about September 11th that will always stand out is that as evil was killing over 3,000 men, women, and children on that day, countless more were rising up and trying to help. When life looks bad, keep on looking and we will find people like Mary doing something good. Good keeps on going in spite of Satan. Jesus tells us that this woman Mary and her wonderful gift and act will be remembered throughout time. Good doesn't quit. Good deeds never lose their power. In fact, the good done can reverberate long after the deed itself was done. So those who spend sleepless nights in a hospital with a sick brother or sister, those who feed the hungry and minister to those who need the help, will be remembered. Those who do good count. 
God does not forget the good deeds you and I do. God can turn those deeds, small as they might be, into great events. So while the gift we offer may not seem extravagant, God can make it powerful indeed. Best of all, when we do good, God remembers on our behalf. Look at the Lord's statement in Mark chapter 9, verse 41. Jesus said, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. A cup of water may not seem like much unless you're dying of thirst. God does not forget the good things we do. Our task is to trust God to make the seemingly little things count, and they do, and he does. The chief priests were plotting. The disciples had criticized. But look who triumphs when it is all said and done. We remember the disciples in this event, but not for the good hearts that they exhibited, but for their critical attitude and for being so easily influenced by Judas. We remember Mary for her wonderful generosity. She anointed Jesus for his burial, unbeknownst to her. She anointed him with the most costly gift. The whole episode points to his coming victory over death. Satan thinks he will stop Jesus and thwart God's plans. But Jesus knows better. He commended Mary's good deed, and so good wins in the end. Jesus went about his business, eating with friends while evil was plotting against him. He walked the path that God set before him, and he triumphed. Evil can hatch all the plots at once, but good will win in the end. Evil can criticize all that at once. Good conquers in the end. God's plan was and will be victorious. Good conquers. The accounts contain valuable lessons of life for us. First, we can't give in to a pessimistic attitude as displayed by critics. The truth is, such will always be around. There will always be someone who likes to think he or she is helping when all they are doing is taking the wind out of someone else's sails. And no matter what we do, there will always be those who will not be satisfied. But if we give in to such negativity, evil wins. Instead of giving in to critics, we should just go on and do the good God has called us to do. Jesus was aware of the plots against him, but he just continued to do what he planned to do. Undoubtedly, Mary heard the criticism, but she continued to honor the Lord. Someone will always have a better idea for any work we plan to do. Someone will always tell us that our resources could have been better used. Our task is to take constructive criticism, ignore the rest, and just do the good we know we are called upon to do. On top of this, it's important that we don't give in and become a pessimistic critic ourselves. Remember whose side the critics were on in this event. The disciples were not thinking of Jesus and his upcoming death. Admittedly, they did not understand what was coming. But they were not thinking of Mary's generosity. They followed the prompting of Judas and sided with Satan at this event. So if we find ourselves tempted to criticize, find the good that can be found first. At least make looking for the good the first thing we do. I also believe that we see here the value of giving to Jesus extravagantly. Mary offered so much to Jesus. Yes, it was a costly gift, but it was a loving gift most of all. We can't be miserly in our giving to Jesus. God will take our offerings, however big, and make good come from it.
Our task is to offer it in the first place with no strings attached. We should give of our time, our money, our energies, all without limit or reservation. God will use whatever we are able to give to let goodness reverberate in so many ways. The most important thing we can give is our life. And as we give our lives, do so telling others about the good news of Jesus. Thank you for listening.